radioinfluence.com. This week, the return of Crush Performance. After a great run of 17 consecutive years on the air, we were forced to take a very unplanned hiatus from the show and from life in general. But here we are, back in the studio, and glad to be back. We are returning here with episode number one of a two-part series titled Back From A Broken Heart. Do I have a story to share with you? And I'm sharing it because it may very well save your life. Frankly, I can't think of a better reason to be here. It is great to be back, so let's get to it. Listening to Crush Performance, your weekly source for sport performance and athletic development information. Get the Crush blogs, podcasts, and performance links at crushperformance.com. Now, here he is, the Crusher. Welcome back, everyone. I am so glad to be back in the studio here. Today, we have episode number one of our two-part series titled Back from a Broken Heart. You'll understand that in just a bit. But this week, it's just you and me. I'd like to share my story with you. Next week on episode number two of Back from a Broken Heart, we'll visit with some of the world-class experts I've met over the last couple of years and hear their information. In the end, I'm hoping these return shows may save you some of the frustration, pain, and suffering my family and I experienced over the last couple of years, and I do believe it may just save your life. I want to be perfectly clear here. These shows are not a call for sympathy. Not at all. Yes, I am going to share everything with you, which I know is going to be tough at times, but I want you to get the whole picture. Again, my hope here is to share my story so maybe you'll never have to go through what I just did. But before we begin, I want to thank all of the Crush listeners out there for their emails and concerns over this last year and a bit. Your words and just knowing you're out there and knowing that the show might have helped you along your path at some point in time, it really did help a lot. I also want to thank everyone at Radio Influence and TSN 1260 Sports Radio for all of the support and backing during my time away and the incredible assistance now as we ramp things back up. You made it easy for me and I can't thank you enough. It took me way longer than I thought it would to get back in the game here, but we have finally arrived. So let me tell you a story. The movies, they have it so right. Those death scenes with the fading to black and those voices that slowly drift away into the vastness, it is right on the mark, and I should know. On May 25th, 2022, I died at least twice, and maybe more. Things from that day are still a little unclear. Let me tell you how it all happened. 
Bear with me here. I'm going to go slow and in great detail, but please listen closely because my main goal is to simply help you avoid what I went through, maybe even save your life or the life of those special people who you love and care about. To start, if you're new to the show and don't know me, my name is Jeff Grishel and I'm an athlete and player development specialist and I've lived a blessed life. I grew up on a farm with a loving family, two brothers and a sister. I played sports, worked hard, and had a ton of fun. I went to the University of Calgary after high school, and there I was exposed to a world of sport performance and sports science that I didn't even know existed. I dove right in. I focused on exercise science, physiology, and psychology. I was hooked on this stuff right from the get-go, but I had no idea where it was going to take me. Looking back now, what a ride it has been. I graduated from university, married my high school sweetheart, and away we went. I was hired by the Blue Jays in 1998 as their first full-time minor league strength and conditioning coach. There were only two or three of us in all of baseball at the time. What an honor. I got to build that program from scratch, and it was simply awesome. I moved up to the big leagues in 2000 and helped shape what I believe was and may still be the best sport performance program in sport. I stepped down from the Blue Jays in 2004 after hiring my replacement and working spring training for the club. You see, midway through the previous season, my dad had a heart attack and our third baby was on the way. Stepping down from the Blue Jays was one of the toughest decisions I've ever had to make. It was a family one, the right one, but tough as hell nonetheless. Right after the club broke from spring training and I was officially done my role with the club, The Blue Jays strength coach, Jeff Crochell, steps away from the team, came across the ESPN ticker. And the next day after that, I got a call from the commissioner's office in New York. They'd seen the ESPN ticker and wanted to see why I was stepping down and what I was going to be up to. That was the start of the next phase of my professional life, helping Major League Baseball with their global player development program. It was a life-changing experience for me as a young professional, seeing what athlete development looks like in virtually every corner of the world, and it altered my approach to athlete and player development for the better. I think the main point here is, I've been entrenched in the world of sport as an athlete, as a coach, fit and healthy, and on the cutting edge of sports science and human performance for all of my professional life. So how in the hell is it possible that I died twice on May 5th of 2022. Well, let's see if together we can't figure this out. I've always said that athlete and player development is a long game, and I do mean long. Years upon years upon years upon years of training and competition to hopefully reach the top levels of human performance and competition in sport. What I've learned over the last year or so is that death can also be a long game. It can be tracking you silently in the background and you may have no idea it's lurking right there in the shadows waiting for that perfect opportunity to strike. I have to admit, in hindsight, I was ripe for the picking. How could it even resist? Back in October of 2019, I was out on my mountain bike, cranking out a serious ride on a pretty technical trail where I lost it on a downhill section. My front tire slipped out on a damp route and I went down really hard. One of those just lay there for a moment, don't move type of wipeouts. Just take in an inventory to see if anything's broken, bruised, or even worse, missing maybe, right? 
It happened so fast. I didn't even really know what happened. But when you ride hard, you learn to wipe out, at least to minimize the damage. And that's what I did on that day. After laying there for a moment and doing a damage inventory, I was okay. I wasn't a big deal. In fact, I don't even think I told anybody I wiped out that day. My head was all right, no damage there. My hip was banged up, my shoulder was sore, but everything else seemed okay. Again, this was October 2019, and I think that was ground zero for everything that led to my temporary visit to the other side on May 5th, 2022. I've reverse engineered it over and over. Everything that went on here in these last couple of years leads back to this October wipeout. A couple of months later in December, we hit opening day at a local ski hill and just off the lift on my very first turn for the first time in my life, I felt back pain right out of nowhere. And it was a whopper, a warning shot of pain. I took it easy that entire day. Over the next few weeks, the back pain didn't really get worse, but it wasn't getting better either. And I was attacking it with everything I knew. I'd helped rehab and treat back pain and even back surgery returned to play for some of my athletes over the years. So I was quite familiar with the process, but my back was not responding. Then in early 2020, I got an x-ray to see if there was anything to see. Comparing it to older x-rays, there wasn't a lot of change. So I continued to manage the issues. At this time, mid-December, we got our first rumblings of something ominous coming out of the east. Something that no one could really explain, but there was a storm brewing, and that storm would change the world. As the new year came around, my back was slightly worse. I went to see Blair, one of my close physio friends, to get a second opinion. It looked like the facet joints and maybe some mobility issues, but nothing major. I continued to manage it for the next few months. Then in March, COVID shut the world down. In June and July of 2020, my back was getting worse. I was getting frustrated. It was creeping into all areas of my life and now affecting my work and my sleep. Not good at all. Pretty much everything I did hurt, but surprisingly, riding my bike was virtually pain-free. And this was great news at the time because at least I could kind of stay in shape. It turned out to be an awful fall. And as 2021 arrived, the pain was constant. Sometimes brutal, sometimes minor, but always there. Then the spring and early summer were terrible. The pain had graduated from brutal to excruciating and my hope of rehab was fading fast. Now, as a sidebar, listen, I can take some pain. I'm not saying I'm a tough guy or anything, but I can deal with a good amount of pain. Maybe because I've always played hard and worked hard. Bumps, bruises, broken bones. In fact, I can remember in high school playing football when a young punk from the other team trying to make a name for himself or something blindsided me in the end zone after I'd scored a touchdown. Totally cheap and dirty from the side and below the knee. The play was dead. We were already celebrating for crying out loud, but my leg just didn't feel right. It was more than just a good bruise. I was so mad. I sat out the last few minutes of the game, then limped myself all the way to the doctor's office down on Main Street, where they told me my leg was broken. So I think I can deal with a good level of pain, but this back thing I was starting to experience here was getting to be some serious stuff, and I didn't like it. Not one bit. Working around the COVID restrictions, I went back to Blair, and we agreed that I needed another set of eyes on this. So... On to sport medicine and Dr. Duran Nadu, who I knew through our work together in professional sport. 
After another x-ray and MRI, we set up an aggressive plan to figure out the best path forward. I started a series of cortisone shots and aggressive physio treatments, hoping that we could get this back, back on track. This was the first time I'd ever had a cortisone shot. Many of my athletes have, so I thought to myself, this would be great professional development. It gave me brief relief, but nothing lasting. This was looking more and more serious. By the time midsummer rolled around, I could not even do yard work. I was still able to ride my bike virtually pain-free, but forget about any other type of exercise or activities, which was okay at the time, because I was training to ride the Seven Summits Trail in British Columbia later in August. The Seven Summits is an International Mountain Biking Association epic trail and Bike Magazine's 2007 Trail of the Year. It's 36 kilometers and 1,035 meters in vertical gain over seven epic mountain summits. We had a group we called the Seven Summit Shredders. We had been training all summer to get ready for the ride and we couldn't wait. There was no way I was going to miss this. August came and the ride went well. Any walking meant brutal pain, but the ride was epic. And it was also the last joy I can really remember. After this, it was all downhill. I was struggling daily. I couldn't move. I was gaining weight. And if you go back and listen to the podcast, you can hear my voice was changing. I wasn't sleeping well and the pain was merciless. The 2022-23 holiday season was rolling around and I wasn't feeling very festive at all. By this time, chronic pain had me in its grip. My first trip to this terrible, terrible place. Previously, the closest thing I had to chronic pain was bilateral Achilles tendinosis. It was bad and it hurt every day, but looking back, that was tinker toys compared to this back pain. Not even close. Here's what I know about chronic pain. Without you even knowing it, it changes you. It quietly and slowly sucks the life and spirit out of you. And without you even realizing it, it changes you. I was sad, mad, and for the first time in my life, depressed. I tried to put up a good fight, put on a good face for my family, but I hid down in the basement 90% of the time because I didn't want the girls, we have three daughters, or anybody else to see me in this much pain. I tried some of the drugs, serious drugs. I hated it. So the only thing I would take was a diclofenac pill that kind of took the edge off sometimes, but that was it. The pain was unrelenting. When I sat down, excruciating pain. When I stood up, excruciating pain. If I tried to lay down, excruciating pain. It was so bad, I would have to scream out loud just to bite through the pain. It was the only way I could do any of it. Just scream. In fact, one day I was downstairs laying on the couch and after a terrible battle to stand up, I made it up the stairs where one of my daughters was sitting at the kitchen island with tears in her eyes. I didn't even have to ask. She heard those blood-curdling screams. Then on another day, Debbie had a contractor over to look at our basement. We were going to get some flooring done or something. I went and hid in my office and tried to get some work done, but that day standing hurt too much. I tried to sit in my office chair. It hurt hurt too much. This guy wasn't leaving fast enough and I had to go and try to lay down, which meant screaming. I broke into a sweat waiting for this guy to leave. The pain was so bad. So I called Deb on her cell and told her to get this guy out of our effing house right effing now. She knew. 
and got him out of the house. I made it over to the couch and I screamed. A little sidebar here. There's a type of therapy called primal scream therapy, PST for short. It's actually been shown to be quite effective for dealing with tension, frustration, anger, and even pain. It's an actual thing. The theory is the scream releases endorphins, a chemical in the body that can help reduce stress. It activates your sympathetic nervous system, helping to create a calming effect. It can be very powerful, kind of along the lines of laughing or crying. So I screamed. It helped. Things continued to get worse. I mean, really tough. Sometimes alone, I'd just break down and cry. That effing pain was so bad. I hid this from everyone, the crying part. Up to this point, I think only my wife knew it was getting that bad, and I don't think even she truly understood. How could she? Unless you live this, which I hope no one ever has to, there are no words I know in the English language that can describe the pain that I felt all day, every day. It was turning my hair gray. Those months were brutal, and the world was still in lockdown. Later that summer, I just couldn't take it anymore. I went to see my doctor one more time, and we both agreed I was beyond conventional rehabilitation. I needed to see a neurologist. I got the referral in August. Here's the thing. I still wasn't sure when I was going to get that appointment, and those were dark, dark days. But the referral was at least a glimmer of hope. You see, by now the depression was getting worse. I don't even think I was aware of it, but I was getting so far down, sometimes the light of day never really reached me. And where hope can be a powerful medicine, fading hope, it can be a death sentence. All I wanted was a date for the neurosurgeon appointment. I didn't care when it was, I just needed to see it on my calendar. The weeks came, the weeks went. No appointment yet. It was COVID and the healthcare system was a mess, but there was no indication of when I might get in to see the neurologist. Things were getting dark. Then, as we rolled into late September, I got the call. An appointment with the neurosurgeon in mid-October. The world was bright again. Isn't it funny how it works? A little spark of hope and things turn around. For me, this was a huge turnaround. It meant hope of getting answers, hope of a solution. Every day leading up to that appointment, one step closer to hope. In Canada, we have a public health care system, and that's pretty much it. I was asked by a focus group, if you were to paint Canada bright red for its health care system, what other countries in the world would also be painted red? I wasn't sure how to answer this, so I said maybe Great Britain. They kind of have a similar Commonwealth approach to health care. Nope, not Great Britain. Okay, so maybe countries where it's hard to get treatment. How about some country in West Africa like Ghana? Nope, not Ghana. In fact, not any African nation. I wasn't sure whether that was good or bad, so I'm not sure. Well, he said, the only other country in the world where there's no system for the people of that nation to take care of themselves, North Korea. Canada is one of the only places in the world where you cannot take care of yourself from a medical perspective. There are very few private options. So if you can't get into the public system, you're screwed. And guess what? I was about to discover that I was going to get 
royally screwed. Now, to be clear, once you're in the healthcare system in Canada, you will receive some of the best care in the world. I can attest to this, looking back on the healthcare of my parents and my wife's parents in their final years of life. There are truly angels and saints on earth in the form of doctors, nurses, and healthcare workers. But if you can't get in to see them, well, you're in trouble. Big trouble. According to think tank secondstreet.org, in 2021 and 2022, over 13,000 patients died while waiting for surgeries, procedures, and diagnostic scans in Canada because they couldn't get into the Canadian healthcare system. People are flocking out of the country just to get the care they need. Canadians are spending billions of dollars each year traveling to other parts of the world to pay for their procedures out of their own pockets. Meanwhile, back home in Canada, people are needlessly dying on the waiting list. Mid-October, I got in to see the neurosurgeon and it's conclusive. I am in desperate need of a vertebral fusion of lumbar vertebrae, three and four. In fact, I was in so much pain when asked I couldn't get up on the examining table for the surgeon to actually look at my back. Jeff, he said, you need this surgery. There is no question at all. Here's the catch. I can't get to you for one, maybe two years. The surgical backup is so bad. There's no chance. Here's what I can tell you. At this time, I couldn't even bear the thought of another day, leave alone a week, a month, or a year. Two years? Surely you jest. You have got to be kidding. After a long conversation, it was clear the only option for me was to look outside of the public healthcare system, anywhere to get some help. Unfortunately, it looked like the waiting list for neurosurgeons was one to two years from coast to coast. Regardless, I looked for private options in Canada, and then a ray of hope. There was only one place that was approved to do this type of procedure, and it was just down the road in the city of Calgary. I was fired up. I called them, told them what the doctor said. She asked, how soon did I want to get in? I said, right now. I'm just up the road. I can be there in three hours. And then there was a pause. Jeff, are you a resident of Alberta? Yeah, I'm in Edmonton. I can be there later today if I can get in. I'm sorry, she said. We're not allowed to operate on people from Alberta. The Canada Health Act doesn't allow it. What the hell are you talking about? You are the only place in Canada outside of the public system that is approved for this procedure. And I cannot go there? What the hell is going on? The only real option here was for me to relocate to a different province so I could come back to my province to get the procedure done. And this was the start of my darkest days. There was no hope. The borders were shut down because of COVID. I couldn't get in to get taken care of. And for the first time in my life, <sighs> sorry. For the first time in my life, I wanted it to end. Down in the basement, 
locked in my office. I thought about killing myself. How could I do it? How could I not do it? This pain was a monster and it was killing me. I was overweight. I was sad. I was in pain. And now I had no hope. None at all. This was late October, early November of 2022. And I was thinking about how to end it all. Now, I've lost a few good friends to suicide and I could never understand it. How could things seem so bad, so helpless that you'd end it all? What about the people you left behind? I'd always think to myself. Well, I can tell you, I didn't care about anyone else. Suicide at this point wasn't a selfish act. It's a way out. And I was knocking at that door. I made it into December in some kind of cloak of darkness. We were still in COVID lockdown and the kids were all hunkered down at our place. And with them around and the holidays approaching, I was able to find some holiday cheer. In early December, with one final effort, I sent out an email to all the people I knew in the world of sport. All of my friends and colleagues in the professional sporting world, international sport, and people I've met in my travels with MLB. I asked for advice on back surgeries, where, when, what type, and how much. The return emails were humbling. Everyone trying to help out, offering suggestions and contacts. This was hope. Maybe the greatest hope. People cared and wanted to help. It? Damn it. Sorry, everybody. It meant a lot and maybe saved my life as well. The notes went like, Crusher, what happened? Crush, my man, what's going on? How can I help? Hey, Crushy Nuts, I know a guy. I'll tell you, it was truly incredible. Not just the number of them, but people... Some were friends, some were colleagues, some were just associates that I didn't really know that well, but everyone reached out and was trying to help. Whew. Okay, so I sent that email out on a Sunday in early September. On Tuesday evening, my phone rang. It was my great friend, George Poulos, the head athletic trainer and director of player health with the Atlanta Braves. He asked, I told, and he put me on hold. It was a minute, then another minute. And when he came back on, Crush, I'd like you to meet our team neurosurgeon, Dr. Stephen Ray. Dr. Ray, this is Jeff Kershell. And it was like magic. I sent over my images for him to look at, and he wanted to set up a call for that Thursday. Thursday evening came around, and George called with Dr. Ray on the phone. Deb was in my office listening in over the speakerphone. They were looking at the images I'd sent over and we were looking at them on my computer and he explained the whole thing and what was going on. I was asking questions and I'm not sure if he heard something in my voice or if he'd just seen this situation so many times. He paused the entire conversation and this is what he said. Jeff, listen, you need to know you're not sick, man. You're injured. Sure, your back's broken, but listen, man, you're not sick. We can take care of this. It's not a problem at all. I can honestly say those were the most powerful words I'd ever heard in my life, especially at that point in time. It was also an incredible perspective because he was right. My back was broken down. It hurt like hell, but I wasn't sick. 
You see, at that point in time, Debbie and I had just lost my dad and both of her parents to either cancer or degenerative brain disease. We had gone through a lot as a family, but it put it into perspective. I had an injury. It was a doozy. It was sucking the life out of me, but I wasn't sick. It was a massive course correction for me. It was hope. We set up the next steps, a call with his surgical coordinator. When we finally hung up, I looked over at Deb and I cried. I really cried. It was like a release and I couldn't help it. There was hope. I just needed some serious help to see it. So we got the call from the surgical coordinator and worked out the details and the pricing. The initial quote for just the procedure alone was over $200,000 Canadian, something that really wasn't in our financial plan. Then we had to consider travel, staying down in the Atlanta area for at least two weeks, and everything else that goes along with being away from home. It was a massive chunk of money, but we looked at each other and decided we have to do this. We'll figure out a way. We started working out the details with the people at the hospital in Atlanta. And as it turned out, because we were out of country and paying out of pocket, there was a substantial discount for anybody who wasn't going through an insurance program. We got the new pricing and we pulled the trigger. On January 19th of 2022, I went under the knife in Atlanta, Georgia, and it was a miracle. The second I woke up after the surgery, the pain was gone. It was truly a miracle. We stayed in Atlanta for almost two weeks and I recovered nicely, walking before we got on the plane to head home. The back recovery went well. I played it to the letter. In April, Dr. Ray wanted a four-month x-ray just to check bone formation and to see where I was at. So as I organized the x-ray and in anticipation of getting back into exercise and back in shape, I also booked a full physical inside and out, top to bottom with my family doctor. The x-ray came back and it was immaculate. The bone formation and my progress was way ahead of schedule and my physical results also came back. It was a 100% clean bill of health. I started ramping up my exercise. I was on the path to full recovery. Little did I know that in less than three short weeks, I would be dead. About a year earlier, my middle daughter and her fiance had asked if they could host their wedding in our yard, and we were more than delighted to make that happen. Over the May long weekend, we had a full work crew in the yard cleaning up and planning exactly what was going to happen for the August wedding. I had a great time. We barbecued, the weather was great, and I actually did more work in that weekend than I had in the past two years, virtually pain-free. It was a fantastic time to be alive. On the Tuesday after the long weekend, I woke up feeling kind of tired. I actually said to Deb, I feel flat as a pancake today. 
And she said, well, think about it. You did more work in three days than you have in the last couple of years. So just relax, get as much done as you can and rest if you need to. I agreed 100%. I took it easy that day, got some work done in my office and planned for a huge day on Wednesday. I had some great calls with Major League Baseball. I was going to speak with a player agency. I was going to get reconnected with a couple of my athletes who I hadn't talked to in a couple of months. It was going to be a jam-packed day. I woke up Wednesday morning feeling like a million bucks. My plan was to get up early and go for a bike ride down in the river valley. I have this loop that I'd done for years that I had on my watch. I wanted to go out and just do an easy ride, gauging where I'm at now compared to where I was when I was in shape just before we rode the Seven Summits. I had a great breakfast, drove out, and I was on the trail before 6.30 in the morning. The sun was out, the leaves were out, it smelled great, and it was a beautiful day, and I felt really strong on my bike. I knew I had to take it easy, and I thought I was. I'd cruised a couple of the trails that I normally ride, tracking it on my watch. About seven minutes in, I'd crossed the river and was on a single track back in the bush. There was nobody around. And then I started getting a tightness in my chest. It kind of felt like, you know, when you go out and do that first hard run of the year or your first hockey shift when you start your hockey season. Just that kind of burning sensation that you get when you've really exerted yourself. I didn't think much of it. I just eased up on my riding thinking it would go away. It didn't go away, but it didn't get worse. And then I started getting a cramp in my left arm. I'd had this before. If you ride mountain bikes and you're in the trails and you're going over logs and jumping routes, you know that your arms can cramp up. Now this was my first ride on a single track trail in probably over a year, so I wasn't really expecting anything else. The cramping didn't get worse, but it also didn't get better. The only thought I had at this time is, well, you pushed yourself a little too hard, mister. Just take it easy until you recover. And then I started getting numbness of the left side of my face. And it wasn't a little bit of numbness. It was almost like a paralysis. My chest hadn't gotten any better, but it hadn't gotten worse. The cramping in my left arm and left shoulder hadn't gotten better, but it also hadn't gotten worse. This numbness, however, put a scare into me. And for the first time, I thought, could I be in trouble? My first thought was I'd hurt my back somehow, but my back really wasn't bothering me at all. And then I thought, could this be a heart attack? Is this what a heart attack feels like? Well, I just had a physical, I had a clean bill of health. There's no chance this could be a heart attack. So I just took it easy. Now, in the past few months, battling through COVID, I tried to distract myself by reading books. And one of the books I just finished was James Nestor's book, Breathe. It was a fantastic read. We know that breathing is the switch to performance for our athletes. So I've been doing a deep dive over the last few years on the art of breathing for performance in sport. And trust me, everybody, it is all powerful. One of the things James's book got me to do, however, was experiment on myself. And over the previous months, as I worked my way through the book, I was focusing on lowering my heartbeat or raising my heartbeat, lowering my body temperature, raising my body temperature, all through manipulating my breathing, and I could do it. In fact, I was getting really, really good at it. So I'm riding my bike. My chest is a little tight. 
My left arm's a little sore, and this numbness that was creeping up the side of my face had me a little concerned. I checked my heart rate the best I could on my bike. I kept pedaling lightly, um, and it didn't seem out of the ordinary. I controlled my breathing. I said, just breathe, take it easy, you'll recover, because I knew I had at least some control over my heart rate through breathing. I kept riding. Now, keep in mind, this is still before 7 a.m. in the morning and there's nobody around. Things weren't getting better, but they weren't getting worse. I thought to myself, I had better get off this single track trail because if I pass out or something worse, it could be a long time before somebody finds me. Now, keep in mind, from the start of my chest discomfort to this point in time is only about two minutes. All of this had gone through my head. I started breathing and I thought to myself, I had better get to one of the paved trails where there's at least people walking and maybe commuting to work. It took me about five minutes, but I got out of the bush and onto a paved trail. There was nobody around. I was still just over a mile, about two kilometers away from the parking lot. My symptoms were still there. They hadn't gotten worse. They hadn't gotten better. I thought maybe I should call Deb and let her know I'm just a little concerned. Then a thought creeped across my mind. What if I get off my bike and I can't get on? So I decided I'd pedal to the parking lot before I made a phone call. So I made my way back to the parking lot, my left arm kind of hugging my chest, my right arm on the handlebars. The decision to get to the parking lot before making the call may have saved my life. I made it to the parking lot, threw my bike in the back of my truck, and tried Deb's cell phone. No answer. My symptoms hadn't gotten worse, but they really hadn't gotten better. I then thought I'd check and see if a local Medicenter might be open. I could stop by and just get checked out. Then I thought, what if I pass out, or worse, while I'm behind the wheel driving? I didn't want anybody to get hurt. So I went to call Deb at home, and it hit me. And it hit me freaking hard. It was like somebody took a Louisville slugger right across my shoulder blades. It literally almost knocked me out. It felt like my left arm was going to explode out of its socket and I almost passed out. I instantly broke into a sweat. I put my head down on the hood of my truck and all I thought to myself was, make it to August, man. Make it to the wedding. Make it to August, man. I knew I was in trouble and I needed to call 911. The problem is I couldn't even lift my phone, leave alone punch any numbers. I looked up and two parking spots away were three gentlemen just a little bit older than me getting ready for their morning run. Again, this is still before 7 a.m. I managed to walk over to them and I said, guys, I'm not right, I think I'm having a heart attack. And boom, these three gentlemen jumped into action. The one closest to me asked me what had happened and dialed 911 immediately. The other two asked if I had aspirin on me, which I did not at the time. They went and checked their packs for aspirin. They didn't have any, so they went around asking anybody they could find to see if anybody had aspirin. One of the gentlemen actually hopped in his car and was ripping towards the nearest pharmacy to get aspirin. 
And while that was going on, we were talking to the 911 operator. Within a couple of minutes, we could actually hear the siren of the ambulance start up because the detachment was just at the top of the hill, less than two kilometers, about a mile and a half away from where I was riding my bike. It was another leap of faith that the ambulance was at the detachment when we made the call. The timing of everything that was about to happen literally saved my life. They say that when somebody has a heart attack, they want to intervene medically within an hour, 90 minutes at the outset. This morning, everything worked in my favor. I was in incredible pain and there was no escape. As we waited for the ambulance to arrive, I had the runner call my wife, Deb, to let her know I was in big trouble. He dialed the number for me and handed me the phone. I said, honey, I think I'm having a heart attack. She thought I was joking, and just then I almost passed out again, handed the phone back to the runner who told my wife I was in serious trouble and the ambulance was on the way. Now, at this point, I knew I was in big trouble and I was fighting for my life. I was trying to maintain that breathing pattern, trying to at least have some control over my fate and my heart rate. And all I could think about was Debbie trying to speed to the park, which was 25 minutes away, and getting in an accident. I tried to say, don't speed, don't rush, don't speed, don't get in an accident. But I'm not sure I made any sounds. As much as I tried, I don't think any words came out. The ambulance arrived quickly and they got me into the back. Thankfully, it was a cardiac unit. They confirmed right away that I was having a massive heart event. What struck me at that time was how quickly I deteriorated. As I rode my bike out in the bush and making my way back to the parking lot, I can't help but wonder if that light exercise actually stabilized my situation. Because as soon as I stopped and threw my bike in the back of the truck, within a minute, it hit me like a freight train. And that was only the beginning because laying in the back of the ambulance, I could feel myself slipping away. We were still at the park and they were working to stabilize me, but my blood pressure had dropped so much they couldn't get in an IV. I'm not sure how much time had passed, but I heard somebody say, Jeff's wife is here. The back of the ambulance opened. My vision was blurry, but I could see Deb. And all she could say is, don't you do something stupid. Don't you do something stupid. Which later I learned was code for, don't you die, you dum-dum. <laughs> she would later tell me that I'd lost all color. And I was ash gray. She was scared out of her mind. And I could feel myself slipping away. The ambulance took off and they were desperately trying to get in an IV. Somewhere along the way, I felt like I was floating. I couldn't keep my eyes open. I couldn't talk. The only way I could respond to the questions from the paramedic and the EMT was I could kind of move my thumb up and down. It was all I could do. And then I heard an urgency in their voice. Jeff, Jeff, stick around. Jeff, hey, don't go anywhere. Stay with us, Jeff. Stay with us, Jeff. And just like the movies, I was fading to black. Their voices were drifting off farther and farther and farther away into an echo-like vastness. But my mind was still clear. As they're telling me to stick around, don't go anywhere, I'm thinking to myself, clear as a bell, I'm trying. How exactly do I do this? I'm trying to stay. How do I do it? I can't stay. And I said to myself, if you see a freaking light, run the other way. 
literally clear as a bell. This is what I thought to myself as I faded to black. I'm not sure how long I was gone, but they did bring me back, though I'm not sure I was back all the way. I faded away a second time to what I thought was probably the other side before they brought me back a second time. We arrived at the hospital, and then again, just like in the movies, I was laying on a gurney, being rushed down some hallway with lights flying by, masked surgical faces over top of me. Within 15 minutes of arriving at the Royal Alec Hospital, they were inside my heart, removing a massive blood clot. This was May 25th of 2022, a little less than a year ago, and on that day, the stars aligned for me. If it wasn't for the intervention of other people, I would not be here. And that is humbling. People have asked me if it gave me a new lease on life. Did I have a new perspective? Well, I'm going to tell you right now, no and no. My life plan and our life plan was really, really cruising along before any of this ever happened. I was quite happy with the direction we were going and very, very proud of the work we were doing. If anything, I'm mad. I am really, really mad. How in the hell does this happen? Listen to me. Just over four months out from a major back surgery, less than two weeks before a massive heart attack, I had a full physical, top to bottom, inside out, left and right, with a clean, shining bill of health. I've never smoked anything in my entire life. I've always exercised. We eat well. What's the common denominator here? How could this happen? I wanted answers. To me, at this point in time, the culprit was the pain, the back pain. What else could it possibly be? Yes, my dad did have a heart attack in the year 2000. Does that constitute a genetic predisposition? Well, he smoked all of his life. He grew up in that era where the cigarette companies targeted kids and dad was one of those kids. He'd smoked all of his life. He wasn't out of shape. We worked on the farm. He wasn't obese. But he had a massive heart attack, so everybody hung their hats on the genetic factor when it came to my situation. I'm still not buying it. I just don't. What I am is mad. I'm mad and frustrated and at the same time, incredibly grateful. I'm grateful to those three runners in the parking lot that fateful morning. I'm grateful to the experts in that ambulance, the driver, the EMT, and the paramedic. They literally saved my life twice, maybe more. I am so grateful for the expertise and the professionalism at that hospital. I was awake for the whole thing, a story for another day, but I could feel and hear the mechanism going into my radial artery of my right hand entering my heart. And I was in pain, I was out of it, I was probably stoned with something, but they walked me and talked me through all of it. I could hear every word they said, and their calmness and their professionalism really helped me find a state of calm. I was so confident in their expertise just by the way they talked and handled themselves. It was incredible, I'm grateful.
I'm grateful for everybody who pulled over to let that ambulance through that fateful morning. It happens every day to somebody. In fact, heart disease is a leading cause of death for men and women in the United States. One person dies every 34 seconds in the U.S. from cardiovascular disease. In 2020, heart disease killed over 697,000 people in the U.S. That's one in five deaths caused by heart disease. In Canada, we don't fare any better. Nine in 10 Canadians have at least one risk factor for heart condition, stroke, or vascular cognitive impairment. One person dies in Canada every five minutes from one of these conditions, outpacing all other diseases. 13% more people die of heart conditions, stroke, and vascular cognitive impairment than die from all cancers combined. The World Health Organization has noted that cardiovascular diseases are the leading cause of death globally. And at the very same time, they also state that almost 80% of premature heart disease and stroke can be prevented through healthy behaviors. That means habits like healthy eating, being active, and living smoke-free. These can all have a massive impact on your health. It's important to detect cardiovascular disease as early as possible so that management with counseling and medicines can begin. So hearing all of that, I have a question for you. How in the hell do I have a heart attack? No signs, no symptoms. Just over two weeks prior to having a heart attack, I have a full physical and get a clean bill of health. Blood pressure, great. Blood sugars, great. Cholesterol, great. Everything looks great. I have never smoked. I've exercised all of my life. My diet is great. So what in the hell happened? Could it be genetic? Possibly. And if early detection is so important, what the hell happened? I am mad and I am frustrated. I can't stop thinking about the fact that without the intervention of other people, I would not be here anymore. And at the very same time, I am incredibly glad to be here. So that's my story. That's how we wound up here. This is why we took such a long hiatus from the radio show, but through the grace of higher powers and the help of some really, really good people, I'm here talking to you today. I have literally seen both sides of this healthcare system here in Canada. I've seen the broken side, the one to two year long waiting list for a broken back, excruciating pain, depression, and suicidal thoughts. We know that tens of thousands of people have died in Canada on the waiting list. But what we don't know is how many people died because of the depression, because of the suicidal thoughts. Look, I was right there. I could have been one of those numbers. Here's the problem. We don't know what those numbers look like. What are the consequences of the broken system? On the other side, I was lucky enough to get into the system when I needed it a broken heart, and the expertise that actually saved my life. I can't tell you how frustrated and grateful I am. My back issues and the broken heart. Giving us the name of these return episodes. Back from a broken heart. So there's my story. And all I want to say to you is be aware and be ready. Know the signs and symptoms of heart disease. 
Know your risk factors, genetic, family predisposition. If you smoked, if you have a terrible diet, if you don't exercise, understand this stuff. And for the love of it all, carry aspirin. If you are over 40, carry aspirin everywhere you go. Aspirin saved my dad's life as he laid on the floor of our farmhouse all alone. It brought him back so he could dial 911. I don't know how that paramedic and that EMT brought me back, but I am going to make a safe bet that aspirin or something like aspirin blood thinner was in the mix to bring me back from the other side because I was not and I am not ready to check out quite yet. And if for no other reason, just to share my story with you, the pain and agony of my back and the diabolical monster that is cardiovascular disease. But I want to thank you for listening today. It was tough at times. It is hard for me to talk about some of those dark, dark days. But I've been there and I get it. And I want you to know that there's a way out if you're there. There's always a way out. You just have to find it. Ask, dig, claw, do what you have to do and find that way out. I was lucky enough to get help along that way, to get shown that path out of those dark, dark days. And to help keep you safe from the number one killer that is cardiovascular disease, we're going to dedicate next week's show to talking to some of the experts I've met along the way. We're going to get into their information, information that I truly believe will build on what we talked about here today and potentially save your life, save your children's life, because these are the conversations we have to have right now. Listen, I never for the life of me even thought that a heart attack could ever happen to me, but it did and I survived. Now let's make sure it doesn't happen to you. Coming up next week, episode number two of Back From A Broken Heart, we'll talk to those experts. And after that, we're back to the regular crush content, helping you reach your potential and push your performance to new heights. I can't wait. In the meantime, reach out with your questions, comments, or smart remarks. Get to us at jeffkershell.com. Follow us on social media, search out Crush Performance, and subscribe to the show at radioinfluence.com. It is so good to be back in this studio. I am so glad you're here, and I can't wait for next week. Stay safe out there, and we'll talk to you then.